Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And we are continuing with our watch through of The Magicians. And this episode, we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 11, The Rattening. So, Chris, can you give us a recap of what happens sure. in this very short and consequential episode? <laughs> Quentin and Julia give an ancient one, also known as a dragon, the key to Fillory as payment for access to the underworld, which looks much like a hotel lobby. Penny tries to read the book of the head librarian Zelda to learn how to enter the poison room, but finds the book itself is stored in the poison room. Another librarian, the mysterious and snarky young Sylvia, volunteers to help him and Katie break in. Senator Gaines begins to learn more about his powers, but after accidentally harming a political rival and realizing that he's unintentionally been controlling his wife... He becomes disgusted by his powers and confronts Reynard, then finally seeks out Katie to ally with against his father. King Idri arrives in Whitespire and attempts to soothe Elliot's worries, but is interrupted when he is turned into a rat along with the majority of the castle. This is only the first of several magical plagues affecting Fillory, and while trying to discover their cause, Elliot learns about the deal Margot made with the fairies and has her imprisoned as punishment. With the help of a potion, Margot teleports to the fairy realm to search for Fen. And after Elliot and Josh devise a new democratic system for Fillory, Elliot suddenly finds himself back on Earth and surmises Fillory has ejected him. Back in the underworld, Quentin and Julia meet the dead free traders, including Richard, who help them locate the area inhabited by Shades in Hades and Persephone's villa. There, they are reunited with Julia's Shade and, unexpectedly, Alice's as well. They escape the underworld, but Julia decides at the last minute to bring Alice's Shade with them instead of her own. So when we get into it, what are the magic moments that you were thinking about from this episode? I, for one, just was really excited to see the free traders again. Mm. I totally forgot that that had happened and was legitimately excited to see them. Mm. And I thought that was a, a really nice moment and in a way made their very quick introduction and then death in season one just be a little bit more powerful because mm. they are still playing a narrative role. They're still showing character relationships. Mm-hmm. Like I just, yeah, I think it was a, a really nice touch to have that there because yeah, they were very meaningful to Julia and Richard obviously becomes the focus of that, but she also has this relationship with the other free traders and seeing them connecting their, their friendship is, is great too. Totally. Yeah. And it's so nice to see how excited they are to see Julia again. And it's not like, oh, you died? That's so sad. You know, they don't even know that at the beginning. They're just like, yeah, you're here. You know, they just like want to reconnect because their own deaths aren't seen the same way as somebody who is alive, not in the underworld would uh, see them. Yeah, exactly. At that point, death is just a part of life. It's just the next chapter that they're in. Exactly. And that's really cool too, to, to show how in the underworld it doesn't it doesn't have to be morbid it doesn't have to be about despair it mm-hmm. can just be yeah a next chapter yeah and it's also nice to see i mean i'm sure part of it was like oh well we didn't get all the actors back or mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever because julia asked about bender and they're like oh he already moved on and so it's interesting to see too that there's still characters with personalities mm. and differences and nuances like he was ready to move on before others were. And Richard is still doing investigative work to try to find his kid that died. And he was responsible for that death. And uh, yeah, it's just interesting to see them 
having fun, but then also you know that there's this side of them that's still exploring and investigating and learning because that was a big part of their group. Yeah, exactly. I also found the existence of sphincter magic (laughs) to be delightful (laughs) and such a this show kind of thing to include. yeah. I can't imagine any other show where sphincter (laughs) magic would be a thing, but But it is here. It also, yeah, highlights how much happens in this episode and in this show that that is just an aside. Yeah. It's not even one of the main points. I'm bringing it up as a magic moment yeah. because there's so much else to talk about. <laughs> even though, yeah, there that opens all sorts of doors. I love what, like, Penny's attitude towards it, though. That he's just like, call it what it is. It's sphincter <laughs> magic. And if it works, there's no shame in it. Exactly. You know, like, yeah. He has actually a good attitude about it. Totally. Uh, he's just frustrated because it's difficult. And mm. It does seem like it would be difficult. <laughs> <laughs> And then finally, as always, just some choice quotes from this episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, This dragon better be fucking cool. (laughs) After the, frankly, kind of gross teeth extraction spell. (laughs) And the dragon in return. No, I eat you. I'm a fucking dragon. What do you expect? (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. I'm just going to wait patiently for you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love Margot's description of Rafe. He's in love with a sloth that's now a rat. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the rattening also happened to a sloth. I know. The, is... the fact that everybody is affected, not just the humans turned into rats, yeah. but Abigail is turned into a rat. It's very good. And it's distressing because he knows how to communicate well with, with Abigail. Yeah. But... <laughs> he didn't study rat in in school (laughs) that we know of at least not yet he's probably studying up on that right now (laughs) and then of course zelda's oh yes (laughs) amazing amazing rejection of penny devastating (laughs) (laughs) that he's not really her type because quote he's a touch emotionally insecure which he compensates heavily for with boisterousness and foul language After she says, Penny, please don't take it personally. <laughs> and she's not trying to be mean. She's just matter of fact. Yeah, this exactly. is why I'm this not is... interested. And I, it, it makes sense for someone who has spent so much time with people's books, you know, mm-hmm. that's just like, it's. I don't mean this person. I don't mean this to hurt you or to judge you. This is just who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> so great. That's excellent. This is why I never want to ask anyone out, because I'm always expecting that answer. (laughs) As you laugh boisterously. Yeah, well, I am as God made me. Are you? (laughs) I thought God didn't make mistakes. (laughs) Sorry. And yet somehow I asked you out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, it helped that you asked me out platonically and then secretly not because we were friends. I mean, for ish. A while. Let's let's not get into it. Oh yeah, okay. We are digressing from the point, which is magic moments of this show, yes. not our lives. <laughs> but yeah, for me, I I thought it was really kind of cool that well, Quentin's like my ancient Greek is a little rusty. But Julia can read it. Mm-hmm. 
that does kind of spark in me the questions of did she just learn this in the process of learning more magic with the free traders and whatnot or does she have some maybe echoes of memories of her 39 times at break bills uh, because obviously as we've talked about before she was able to remember that break bills existed even after her memory was wiped and felt that she was supposed to be there so she seems to have some little shadows of memories and so i wonder if that could translate to some of her skills as well yeah that's actually not my read at all sure but uh awesome seeing how even without taking courses in it through break bills she is still yeah able to gain competence in all of the skills that are needed for magic including language yeah more so than people who actually had the formal exactly. education yeah the other thing that i appreciate is just katie and penny trying to make a portmanteaus of mm. inceptisex like yes. them just like joking and laughing together and making the best of the situation that they're in and the fact that meadow slash willow slash silva incepted him incepting mm-hmm. her it's a, yeah it's just it's interesting <laughs> yeah it also just shows the power of one movie that incepting is now a verb that is just mm-hmm. readily utilized. <laughs> totally, totally. But why don't we go into our next section, which is on setting in society. What were you noticing about this episode? Well, I definitely wanted to talk about just the underworld, mm-hmm. you know, which I think is fascinating to see it as kind of, yeah, a, a hotel lobby. Very, very touristy. You know, it has a cheesy welcome video. <laughs> it has pamphlets. Like, don't worry, you're probably not going to go to hell. Yeah. Like, uh, very, very sterile, very mm-hmm. impersonable, but comfortable. Yeah. And old timey, mm-hmm. in a way. It's like, oh, these kind of bellhop type dressed person that welcomes them or, or door person and uh, take a number from one of those little number things. Well, it's like, nowadays we don't really use those number things. Maybe in some places, sure. But like most of the time things are done digitally, mm-hmm. you know, and and they have computers, but they don't work very well with time loops, you yeah. know, and so it's it's interesting. Well, that was the other thing, I, or another thing I wanted to talk about is the idea of, you know, the questions that time loops raise in mm. in just hearing that in hearing that the underworld has on their record the 39 times that these characters have died and it just makes me wonder you know we saw for example the alice that is still alive in world 23 mm-hmm. so would that alice if they died go to the underworld are there 39 Alices? Are there 39 Quintins in the underworld? Mm-hmm. Or is there only one soul that somehow comes back if they come back? But then what, yeah, what happens with this Alice that's there? And then it's different than the shade. And it's just, you know, mm-hmm. these very interesting confusions of, yeah, time loops are clearly understood, they, right? They, they happen often enough that the underworld knows that their computers don't work with them. But... Yeah, I just wonder what that means about individuality for those who have gone through a time loop um, and how that might lead to the splitting of a person and if that has consequences at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what if, like in Richard's case, 
he was culpable in his kid's death. Right. Well, what if, you know, one of them was responsible for a different one of them's mm. death? Then how does that work? But it's only in this one timeline that that happened or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, yeah. it just, it fractures causality mm-hmm. in really interesting ways. And so I think that in particular, having the underworld look like this attempt at control and order when we see that there's things that are not in order that can make that break down and that they don't seem to have a a firm grip on. It just, yeah, actually thinking through it, it makes that seem not just like quirky and fun, but also thematically relevant and Mm -hmm. interesting because people who are in charge, the bellhops and the security that we (laughs) see don't have actually a pulse on everything that's happening and control over what's happening. And so it's a attempt to impose order on a world that magic in particular helps make uncontrollable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and messy. The other element of that that I wanted to talk about is a little bit more about shades and shades in, in, in the underworld. Because for one, the bellhop makes a comment about how, you know, if someone is found who doesn't have their shade... It's like their shade is being protected from them because the person is kind of brought off, it seems. Like, well, we don't know, we don't know what, what happens, happens there, to them, but the but, bellhop yeah. says the shades are protected for eternity. That just raises questions of like protected from what, mm-hmm. you know, are there, are shades something to be desired or can be utilized in some way? that we just don't know are, yeah, is there a perception that a shade being reunited with the other parts of their personality is bad for it? Or is it protection from something else? Like, it's just, yeah, I'm I'm curious what that means. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because Julia Shade wanted to be reunited with the rest of Julia. Mm-hmm. She begged Quentin to find her. Also, I, I don't know. I I wonder if it would have been stronger or less strong for the story to have had Martin's shade right. there. Because theoretically, he should be there. Uh, and obviously, it's a big place and there's probably tons of them. So it would make sense that they don't just happen to run into him. But um, yeah, it could have been really interesting to see Martin's Shade's perspective. Totally. Would he ever want to be reunited? Is he happier here? Uh, does he finally feel protected mm-hmm. for all time? You know, so yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. Well, what about you? What did you have for setting in society? Yeah, besides the underworld, I was also just liking that the ancient one, the dragon, is an Asian-style dragon. Mm. Because the earliest accounts of draconic creatures are from Asia. And so I would have had to roll my eyes super hard (laughs) if they had the European winged dragons sort. Because, come on now. If we're talking about, like, going back from the beginning of the birth of these ideas, then... Why it's in ancient totally. Greek is still questionable, but... And it uses the term know. worm, which I think is a European description for a wingless dragon. So, mm. like, maybe there's... There's, like, a conflating yeah. of different ideas versus snake, you know. Yeah, uh, but there's... But... Uh, there could be a good reading of that, at least. Yeah, yeah. At, at least there are no wings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, interesting. Yeah. 
Why don't we go into our themes and schemes? What were you thinking about? The major thing that I saw in this episode was the idea of control. Hmm. The experience that Gaines has is a really great example of this, um, right? Where he is seeing how he is able to and has always been able to control people and what it's like to use that unconsciously versus what that's like to use purposefully and the ramifications that can have of that and what it means to have Reynard, his father, be so identified with control control over others being the main magical power that he utilizes and has passed down. Having that in this episode highlights how this is kind of a a central theme, especially as we also start learning more about, for example, Persephone being Our Lady Underground Mm -hmm. and Reynard having an issue and and even gainsaying, oh, it's the one person you couldn't control. Sure, you loved her, but it also makes you angry. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the the other elements of the story also engage with this theme in interesting ways. We have, for example, the underworld, like we've talked about, having this kind of idea of control. And like you mentioned, Richard and the free traders are thinking about how to break those rules, (laughs) right? They are questioning things. They still have their own desires and agendas. And sometimes rules like that, I think, are good ones. Uh, I think that, okay, having a umbrella rule that says that if you were involved in someone's death, you shouldn't be able to find them in the underworld. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that probably most often protects someone from being re-victimized, re-traumatized. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there is redemption. There are things that, that could make that rule not always, 100%, always the right thing mm-hmm. and or when situations were accidents or you know exactly and you know one of the reasons why you unfortunately cannot just have a perfect system of rules because there's always going to be more chaos more messiness than just a strict set of rules can allow for mm-hmm. yeah even though that's kind of in the background i think it's a a very compelling addition to this theme mm-hmm. yeah we also of course see all of this chaos going on in Fillory, the rattening and these other issues that are happening, these kind of magical maladies that are affecting plants and animals and people mm-hmm. without any clear cause. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're still not sure what is causing this. Is this the fairies? Is this something else? The fairies say it's not them. That in of itself is uh, scary that it is chaotic that it is something that not only can't control, but uh, you can't even identify. Mm-hmm. And we see this discussion between Josh and Elliot about establishing a democratic element of Florian politics. Mm, yeah. You know, that is in a way providing control or new forms of control, new mechanisms of control, democratizing that, more access to more people. Yeah, there are obviously benefits and drawbacks to that based off of your position. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this way, it is lessen, it would lessen Elliot's power as king, and we love Elliot, but it also might be a good thing to lessen a king's power <laughs> systemically. <laughs> yes. So, you know, there, there's, yeah, I just, uh, again, see this engagement with that happening there, too. And I think there's also a bit with Margot mm. that she is saying... I will fix this. Totally. But the consequences of her actions have 
spiraled outside their control. You know, now now they're dealing with magical deals that they don't really understand. Now they're, you know, all of these different things are happening. There's wars, there's duels, you know, and she is very much out of control of the situation. Mm-hmm. And then therefore Elliot takes that control and says, you can't make any decisions now no. and, and completely takes any control that she did have, even to try to right wrongs uh, away from her. Yeah, good point. I think that, that somehow the, the conversation with the ambassador from the fairies probably also fits in here too. Mm-hmm. When she calls fairies magic their whimsical bullshit mm-hmm. and how she sees kind of chaos there and he mentions how well that's just because you don't understand it and yeah you don't have control over it that you dismiss it you insult it you attack it exactly yeah yeah i just i find that all of the characters i think are are engaging with this in different ways uh even giving up the button is losing yeah. control over your ability to travel home and that being a real sacrifice that we see at the very beginning of the episode. But what themes and schemes did you want to bring up? Yeah, I was also thinking about the fairy ambassador. Mm. Her calling him because she's like, well, all of these weird things are happening. And she says it seems like the, the fairies whimsical bullshit. And he's just like not having that. He's just totally. like whimsical. It's the mark of the stupid and the arrogant to attack what you can't comprehend. And... Mm. I just, I find that quote really interesting and also (laughs) very prescient (laughs) as we see all of the, uh, just recently in the United States, the Republican convention and all of these candidates like saying, we're going to ban gender affirming care and Mm -hmm. yeah, it's the stupid and the arrogant to attack something that they don't understand, you know, and put people at risk and not offer people health care. And like, it's, yeah, it's just, we see that happen a lot in the world Mm -hmm. and in society. And I do like that it comes with the arrogance. It's not only is it ignorant Mm -hmm. or unwise or he uses the word stupid, but that can be... Not always a great word to use, but yeah, also the the element of arrogance that the way I think about something is the only way or the important way or the better way. And uh, we see this obviously a lot in, in ethnocentrism when people are just seeing something through their ethnic group or their culture's perspective in maybe vilifying people who act differently or think differently or, or whatnot. And so, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see if, like, that will come up more uh, as we go along. I mean, I'm sure it will, but Mm -hmm. but we'll see. (laughs) Totally. And then also him talking about fairies aren't doing this. There's a power without logic, a power Mm -hmm. that acts not for gain, but purely because it can. That's the true danger, which I think is bringing back to... One of the themes we were talking about earlier in this season with the kind of unchecked carelessness of gods, Mm -hmm. because we saw that with Ember just taking Julia's memory patch away without asking, without a second thought to it. We see him taking a dump in the wellspring. Mm -hmm. We saw we saw, you know, Reynard just murdering and raping people and 
these gods are powerful and they're they're powers that are acting yeah not for gain but purely because they can yeah so i think it's kind of bringing that theme back here at this place in the story totally Though at this point, it seems like they're just hinting that it's the gods. I assume that that's what it is, but they sure, were having sure. explicit about it. Yeah, yet. but I mean, Reynard's here and he's like, you're a god. They're just these little humans. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about them. Don't care. It doesn't matter. I can, we can do, we can control them. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that he's representing that a lot this episode. Absolutely, yeah. Another thing that I think is coming back a little bit and I don't think it was necessarily the intention for the theme for this episode but as we've been talking about along the way a lot about like the hero narrative like, mm-hmm. who is the hero of a story and Quentin being very invested in that idea we, we see that happening yet again where Quentin's mission is the only mission that matters mm-hmm. and his mission here is to help Julia get her shade back. Again, help save this woman who needs something. She even tells him, you don't have to come with me. Actually, I think you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, I'm coming. And so he again is, I'll put my life on the line to help save you. And when the dragon requires the fillery button, Quentin just gave away their only transportation to fillery. That obviously doesn't require the presumptuous use of Penny as a chauffeur service, Mm -hmm. which he can't even do anymore because now he's working for the library. And also, at the same time, trying to get rid of the raping monster, Mm -hmm. right? And... I don't even know if Quentin was paying attention enough to know that Penny's a librarian now because of how obsessed he was with bringing Alice back and then his alcoholic mourning of her. Now doesn't have or doesn't know or maybe he does have the information and just doesn't care about stranding Margot and Josh in Fillory potentially forever. Mm -hmm. And, And Elliot out of Fillory. Which, well, he didn't know that. Yeah, but I'm saying is, he doesn't know these then. things. Like, yeah, but I don't think that happened yet, so that's fine. Right, but, but what I'm saying is that he's also, like, he's not thinking about what the repercussions will be for others. Yeah, and repercussions if in the issues future. happen, exactly. As well as current, which Precisely. is stranding two people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of which he brought to Fillory. Yeah. Yeah, he just, he didn't even take the time to have a conversation with them because Elliot and Penny all were involved in exhuming that body mm-hmm. and finding the button. And actually Penny was the one with basically all of the information to even be able to find it. And him just taking it and giving it away, even Julia says, no, choose something else for a gift to mm-hmm. the dragon. She's says, no, we're not going to give this up. And what if your friends need it? You know, and she's not friends with these people yet. Yeah. And she's putting more thought. Shadeless Julia is putting more thought into these people being stranded there than he is because his mission is the most important mission. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just... Well, not only a really crappy friend, but is him, yeah, having an overblown sense of his place in 
any situation where whatever he's doing is the most important thing that needs to happen in ways that I think should really break the trust of everyone around him. Mm. Uh, Margot was going to send him back with the button and she gave it to him and she's like, can I trust you with this? Mm-hmm. You know, and clearly she couldn't. In a different time when Penny went into his bag to get the button, Quentin was like, you're stealing from me. Mm-hmm. So it's like he considers the button his own, mm-hmm. which is also incorrect and frustrating. So yeah, I think it's still something that's going on, which is good because people don't just, even though it's been over a year, two years, whatever, change when they have these deep-seated ideas embedded in their identity and their way of wanting to be in the world. Totally, yeah. And the last theme I think that this episode is bringing in here is the political changes Mm. and this democracy that Josh is suggesting that they hold an election and when Elliot's like, yeah, that's great. This is going to save Billary. He gets kicked out, right? And so I think that it's, it's really great that the show is continuing to not just show the problem of the colonizing, patriarchal, earthling monarchy that Fillory has, but also working to change that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's not just, oh, it's an amusing quirk that's maybe talked about how it's bad once or twice, and then they just move on to other things. But here in this conversation that Josh and Elliot have, it's clear that this is going to make an impact and... Yeah, well, it's a marking a start of a change that that will continue to follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention, you know, we see the democracy, quote unquote, of the United States <laughs> on the other side with gains and mm-hmm. how actually democratic that is, which is not not very. With <laughs> Reynard, like, corruption and they and, don't cheat exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is uh, funny, but also accurate yeah. you know and and brings up its own i think interesting questions about well is it right to do wrong for the right reasons you know mm. uh to take someone's agency away but that person is themselves corrupt and you're helping to pass something good you know like those totally. i think are 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 fascinating questions that are actually interesting to chew on which is why i think Gaines is such a, an interesting character to bring in. Definitely, definitely. And I think you want to talk more about him. So why don't we go into our POV section? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was one of the people I wanted to talk about for the POV because I just think that he is really fascinating. And even though he is a supporting character, I find myself very compelled by him. Mm-hmm. I think the performance is really good as someone who, yeah, like clearly has had literally everything handed to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but who also is trying to reckon with the morality of that. Yeah. And as someone who has quite a few privileges in our society, that's something that I, in some ways, resonate with. I've had my own kinds of questions of, yeah, how how does one be moral when they have been privileged by systems that are unjust and unfair? Mm-hmm. And his power becomes, I think, a really interesting metaphor for that, where we see him being able to consciously or unconsciously control someone and make it so that they'll do what he wants. Seeing the two different ways that that occurs, I think, is really powerful. 
Mm-hmm. Because first he does it unwillingly, really. He, you see him grappling with whether he will do it, finally deciding to do it, and being unsure still how it will work. And I mean, then, would you say that's unwilling? <laughs> I mean, not entirely willing, it. right? Yeah. He, he's, he's at least grappling with whether this is the right thing to do. He's not, like, diving in headfirst, being like, oh, can't wait to use his power now. Like, he's still thinking, like, yeah, is this is cheating. This is wrong in some way. I find it interesting that he uses the term cheating because it's still about winning for him. It's not, well, that would be immoral. That would be, yeah, taking away someone's agency. It's, mm-hmm. well, that would be cheating, which implies that the result is the important thing. Like, whether the bill passes or not, this would be cheating to get the bill passed instead of this would be hurting someone. Yeah, and it presumes an idea of fairness. Exactly, yeah. But, yeah, when he uses it to get the person's vote, uh, another thing that also doesn't make sense with democracy, when he's like, you're going to be the first person to vote for it. It's like, no, that's done alphabetically. Like, (laughs) that's not how the Senate works. Um, But to have him be hurt from it, see him physically be damaged, not just mentally be violated... Mm-hmm. Um, makes it more real to him. And so he goes to his wife to to try to talk to because she's the only person he says he trusts. And he realized that... He's controlling her too. Yeah. And so he can't trust himself with her. Like he... It's not that he can't trust her because she will be there for him, but he can't trust her to be completely honest because he can't trust himself to let her be completely honest. I think his performance after she shows she's being controlled and him mm-hmm. realizing that and continue to smile with her and just say, okay, well, let's go home and we'll make it work together. And then she walks off and you see him respond. Like, I think mm-hmm. that is an amazing performance. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, it's just so tragic. Your how... whole relationship is destroyed in that moment. Exactly. When you realize you can never look back and try to remember times when... You were looking at her in the eye versus not. You know, like, you you can Mm -hmm. never parse what was authentic from her and what was controlled. Yeah. Or if she authentically wanted to be with you in the first place. Exactly. Um, Yeah, it just, it, it, it makes it so that the entirety of your relationship is, is now skewed. It's stained. And it connects to, I think, Reynard's vision of the world, where Reynard sees everyone as pawns, as tools, as nothing, because he has that much control over them. And how could you see someone as an equal or someone as having agency if you literally can take their agency away, even unintentionally? Mm-hmm. And Gaines, having done most of this unconsciously throughout his life, is instead dealing with the repercussions of that, rather than building a paradigm around it. And yeah, it's it's very tragic and it's just awful to think about and to see and and I can understand why he then turns on his father and and I can't imagine what else he could do because at that point everything would be stained. What mm-hmm. does anything mean if you can have everything? Yeah, that's just a uh, you know, Gaines I don't think is is necessarily like a just good-hearted, amazing person. (laughs) But I think that it is fascinating to see someone who has at least average or or maybe above average morality engaging with, yeah, the the effects of his manipulation of people Mm -hmm. um, 
it's just it's fascinating to watch. And how alone he must feel yeah. in a lot of ways because he's like, this is the only person I trust. And now your support system is completely gone. Mm-hmm. And not, not only of his wife, but also all of his staff. How can he trust any of the advice that they give him? Is he just going to be like, wait, but is that, are they just telling me what I want them to tell me? Mm-hmm. Is this real? But then maybe it doesn't matter because I'll just get what I want anyway. You know, it's just like every interaction with every person is brought into question. Yeah. The only person he can not really have that relationship with is his father, but he's horrible. <laughs> And his father does have the ability to use that on him, right? Where he mentions that he subtly suggested that he Mm -hmm. not look it up, and that's why he didn't. Yeah. And so it seems like Reynard is more powerful and therefore is able to control him as well, Mm -hmm. uh, at least subtly. And yeah, that that (laughs) becomes its own issue. So Yeah. yeah. And so then it makes a lot of sense why at the end of the episode, he goes to Katie. Mm -hmm. He goes to the people who did magic at him (laughs) and kidnapped him and stuck him in a closet Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they were the only ones who was just telling him the truth. Totally. And also trying to get rid of Reynard. Yeah. And it makes sense. Maybe he feels like he can trust them in a way that can't trust anyone else. And hey, at least they have magic. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I think in in that too, the, the he does a great performance. But also, the one who plays his wife, mm. I feel like it's just so creepy and almost haunting when she just is, you know, talking in one way, like you're overworking yourself. Yeah, like that mm. feels authentic, and then she just goes to, of course, honey. I apologize. I'm here to support you, whatever you need. Like, mm-hmm. it's just so creepy and, yeah, disturbing. Yeah. Um, especially as me, someone who doesn't really fake things or just give people what they want to hear if that's not something I believe but sometimes I think that that's what people want from me me to just support them but it's like but I can't if I don't agree with what you're doing like it's not that I don't support you at all in any circumstance but in this circumstance I don't you know but feeling like sometimes people would want that from me so it's nice to see how creepy it is when <laughs> it's not real mm-hmm. yeah well i also just wanted to, to talk about elliot a bit too mm, because I mean, he makes a big decision he makes a big decision he makes lots of big decisions and at the very beginning he we see him very very anxious and worried mm-hmm. about everything that is needs to happen with his wedding and and, and with king idri we also see him seem excited and hopeful for himself for the first time in a long time. We've talked a lot about how much we admire his sacrifice and his choice to step up and be the best king that he can for Fillory and the best husband to Fen that, you know, he can and, and these other kinds of things that he wouldn't have chosen for himself. And Idri still has some of that there, but the more he gets to know him, the more he's letting himself, yeah, hope for someone who he can love the way that he wants to love them or he can 
have relationship with in a way that will be for Elliot and not just for others. And that hope gets dashed when Indri literally becomes a rat. (laughs) (laughs) And he has to deal with all the chaos that's happening. But I also think that it's mixed for him. Oh, of course. Because he starts the conversation with Idri saying, yeah, I married someone that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I'm now doing that again. Yeah. So, But he's, he's more hopeful. But yeah, it still has that bit of this is a stranger. Totally. Yeah. He still has that worry and anxiety. But he now has this other element. And so for that to be crushed the way it's crushed... You know, he jokes about it where he's like, I guess I'm not getting laid tonight, uh, which shows a different kind of frustration he has. But I think it also highlights, yeah, how he now has to, again, put everything ahead of himself to try to solve what's happening. And in the process, he finds out that everyone around him, and especially Margot, has been lying to him. Mm-hmm. And that he has been making choices to support Margot when she has, as he puts it, made messes that he's had to clean up. And so when she says that she did this to save him, well, he she only had to save him because of the position that he was put in because of her recklessness in declaring war. And so, yeah, he, he must feel so alone there mm-hmm. when he chooses to imprison Margot. Essentially, he's saying she can't be trusted to make decisions. I cannot rule with her. So she has to be locked up. And it's not that I don't love her, don't care about her. Make sure she gets her oils. <laughs> you know, he, he still wants her to be comfortable. But he also recognizes that where they are right now, they cannot rule together because he can't trust her. So he sacrifices one more thing. He sacrifices his closest friendship. And just the pain of that must be so hard for him. And like... The term nobility obviously has a lot of problems problems and connotations <laughs> that, that aren't great. But like, I think that there is a great deal of nobility in the way that he does, that he, he takes these things on, where he, he does so and he clearly is upset by it, but he also does the hard choice. And maybe chivalry. Yeah, I, I mean, but I would say chivalry has the... even more problematic aspects than nobility. Well, nobility is classist. Chivalry, I don't think has to be sexist, but usually is. But I see chivalry as both classist and sexist, mm. because chivalry was only sh- chivalry is what separated the nobles from the commoners. So mm. yeah, you know, it, yeah. all of these are our card. Maybe maybe just the virtuousness. Mm, no, yeah, that's probably better. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, the virtue, the strength that it takes is just inspiring and uh, amazing to watch and, and so hard because, you know, I love Margot and I, I, I want Margot to not be in the wrong, you know? <laughs> I want her choices to end up being for the good of Fillory too, even if they cause some conflict now. But, like, <laughs> she's making mistakes and there are consequences to that. And some of those consequences are that other people who have taken responsibility are also going to step up to that responsibility, even if that means they have to prioritize it over your relationship. And that's what Elliot does. Mm -hmm. And within Margot, she also recognizes some aspect of Elliot being right there. But it's just, it's just hard. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it, you know, it kind of brings back around what Margot told Julia earlier after she set fire to the sentient trees. She said, this is what we do with loose cannons mm. and fillery and send them to the dungeons. Yeah. Um, and she was a loose cannon as well. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's... It's difficult, and, you know, I don't know if he always would have reacted that way or if part of it is that it's been three months Mm -hmm. and she hasn't come clean about this. And now Fen was, you know, abducted, and who knows if she's alive, who knows any of this. And, yeah, knowing that people are lying, not only... Tick Pickwick embezzling funds mm. or Wraith running their escort service, which I have no idea what that. Yeah, that's that's its own mess. But <laughs> <laughs> not just them keeping things from him, lying to him, doing things that might not be the best for Fillory, <laughs> but also the person that he felt was in his corner that they could rule together, even despite her rash blunders now he's like no she's been lying for months to me and i mean even the decision to truthy her shows Mm -hmm. that he lost that trust yeah you know because he wouldn't have done that if he didn't suspect so the breakage didn't happen when she confessed that is just what solidified it Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah he said i don't know what else to do Mm -hmm. which yeah it shows the desperate position he feels like he's in that what else do I do? And maybe, you know, it's not like, Oh, you'll be there forever. But like right now, like this is what I have to do because I can't trust you. And I have to try to clean up yet another mess. Yeah. And you know, I, I can imagine there might be a part of him that's like, I can't just try to be accepting of people anymore. I tried to have the Foo Fighter and convince him and make a build a friendship with him. Mm. And he still wanted to kill me. And so, you know, maybe I've just been too understanding and I need to actually take a stand because... Or have consequences yeah. for people's actions. Exactly. Well, did you have another perspective to talk about? Yeah, so I was thinking a lot about Julia. Mm. We get a lot of her in this episode. And this is Julia without a shade. Mm-hmm. And... It was really interesting to watch thinking about what she said in the previous episode, which is that now all she does is ask if something is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Episode opens, they're going to the dragon, and she's thinking about Quentin doesn't have to come. Maybe this will put him in danger. He probably shouldn't come, and yeah. she voices that. Then she extracts his baby tooth without asking, and then quickly realizes that wasn't okay and automatically apologizes. And so she's trying to rein in her impulses for just whatever she wants and whatever she sees as the thing that has to happen or, or whatever it is and consider other people and consider is what I'm doing right or not. And then, like I mentioned before, when the dragon requires the fillery button, she says, no. What about your friends? She doesn't really care in a meaningful way about those other people. Mm-hmm. Yet, she's the one who's looking out for them and their well-being and questioning if this is the right course of action to take. 
then in the final act that she takes, choosing to bring Alice's shade back instead of her own, I think is is the pinnacle of these decisions that she's been making and weighing whether they're right or wrong. Because she went to the underworld to get her own shade, mm-hmm. hoping that that would obviously help her and then she'd be in a place where she could again defeat banish whatever reynard uh but without her shade she doesn't necessarily feel confident that she will do that in ways that are not really harmful and so she tells quentin i know this is my one shot And this is what I want to do with it, which is just like so impressive for her. Yeah. Without her shade, she is more sacrificing and caring about those around her than a lot of the other characters are. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's not just about her making the decision because, oh, this is just the quote unquote right thing to do because... Potentially her without her shade, if she does more genocidal acts, well, that's not the right thing to do, not get her shade back. But I think that throughout this episode and stemming from other decisions last episode, she's proven to herself that she can think about what is right before she acts. And and I think she's adopted this practice of... Uh, what I think, in my opinion, is one of the most important things, the best things to do, which is asking what is the right thing to do and trying to do it. Or if you don't know what is right, or maybe there isn't any quote unquote right thing in a particular circumstance, like still considering what you're doing and considering how your actions affect other people. So yeah, I think it's through making different decisions and through her proving to herself that she can not be a genocidal, homicidal, raging person that, yeah, she makes that choice that she'll bring Alice's shade back instead. Absolutely. And yeah, like you mentioned, we see that in big and small ways. You know, the the apology after the the tooth spell, you Mm -hmm. know, is one. The other one I thought of was her cheering Quentin on when he gets a strike. Like, like she already just cheers for him once. And it's Mm -hmm. like, is that a sincere emotion or is that her wanting to express something that she thinks would be beneficial, Mm -hmm. you know? And then finding out, yeah, okay, this is the way that it works. It's always strikes at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But she's like, he doesn't need to know that. Like, that is itself a choice of, okay, yeah, what is going to help Quentin the most? And... That is just a small little detail, but she's clearly, like you said, developed a practice of making these these decisions in a way that is thoughtful and considerate, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's, it's one thing to be kind naturally, to just have a compassionate response, but consideration is a practice. Consideration mm-hmm. is something that you have to actively do, and... Does someone need to be naturally kind or or warm if they're being considerate? You know, is that exactly so? Yeah, I think that it is a both a loving act to Alice, but in some ways a self-loving act 
for Julia to have that faith in herself when mm-hmm. she had lost so much of it just last episode. Yeah. And that's that's really, really nice to see. Yeah. I don't know why there's the rule. I, maybe I didn't pick it up or maybe they just didn't explain it, why they can only bring one shade back. But <laughs> mm-hmm. clearly that what is the rule. What would happen? Yeah. Maybe the elevator wouldn't work. <laughs> maybe. Or, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, why they're allowed to bring one shade back but not two just... Every time I watch this, I'm like, but why just, why? Um, oh, you're like, every time I watch it, this is your both, second time. Tw- both times I've watched yeah. this episode. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but I also think that it, it's nice in this episode we're reminded of the care that Julia just generally has. And, like, mm-hmm. Quentin is talking to one of the other shades and says that she probably made friends <laughs> with the most shy and maladjusted shades and I, I like that because it's reinforcing that Julie has an openness to people. And that includes people who are often overlooked or maybe avoided. Mm-hmm. But it's not out of pity. She doesn't do it to quote-unquote save them. Yeah. It's to be an actual friend because that's who we see her being so often to Quentin is someone who's loving and supportive, but also somebody who will call him on his bullshit, you know, push back and be upset with him. You know, it's not just, oh, she treats him as a wounded little puppy, you know, like she supports him him unconditionally. Yeah, exactly. She treats him as a person, Yeah, which is, yeah. Just great. And I mean, that harkens back to literally the first episode mm-hmm. where we're introduced to Julia in exactly those ways. Her being a friend to Quentin, her having relationships outside of Quentin and being open to other people and Quentin struggling to do that. Quentin being unable to build relationships outside of those that are safe. Yeah. And, you know, her being exasperated by mm-hmm. him sometimes and stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, I think they have definitely a very interesting friendship, the interesting relationship. And then the last thing I was thinking about with her character in this episode and what she was feeling is when she finds out that Our Lady Underground is the god Persephone. Yeah. Just the hurt and anger. She says, we were so stupid to love you. Yeah. And like, love you. That's a meaningful word. That's a that's a vulnerable thing to say Absolutely. about this. Only what they've had is the inanimate pictures of this god and this belief that they had in her and this desire to meet her and interact. And like you were saying, that incantation earlier when Marina was saying it and you were talking about how like the language was quite intimate Mm -hmm. and yeah her to say we were so stupid to love you and you can just like see how betrayed she feels yeah to find out that our lady underground is actually real she just didn't care to answer it wasn't just that oh she never existed and this trickster god would pose as her and then destroy people and whatnot but like no she's real so for her to get that information and for her to feel the pain of it but not that not just send her into a rage that not just make her want to get back at that god or something like that yeah does show that she 
she's not going to let that information make her not want to do what she's doing. And maybe she would even take that information and be like, well, I know myself and my shade will be okay here. But maybe Alice's shade isn't going to be okay. You know, she doesn't know Alice well at all. And so... And her Lady Underground isn't helping. Isn't there. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, it's just nice to see Julia do a very selfless, sacrificial, loving thing, even after she finds out this really sad, depressing news. Yeah, it's it's a real crisis of, not faith, because now she knows that she is real, but a crisis of belief, maybe, or mm. of, yeah, of love. Knowing that your love could have been real, but wasn't accepted, mm-hmm. wasn't enough, is heartbreaking. And, and really just, you know, we've been talking about Julia a lot, but her performance in these last couple episodes in particular, you know, of her not having a shade, but wanting to still be moral and to do what's right, but also having emotional reactions to things, but having those emotional reactions within the context of something being missing, mm-hmm. uh, just excellent, excellent acting. Yeah. And to sum up her... <laughs> I think Richard often has a great way <laughs> before he was like that thing in you that like bite that's always trying to puzzle things out. Yeah. Like don't lose that. And then here he says, you're always the one to tell the impossible to go fuck itself. Yep. Which is Julia. Yeah. Very Julia, which is awesome. Totally. You know? Yeah. So yeah, maybe from the other episode, maybe she is the girl who told time. Mm. To go to fuck itself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But why don't we move into our final little conversation, which is, what do you think of the title of this episode, The Rattening? Yeah, it's a good title. I mean, it's, it's pretty delightful. Yeah. I probably would not have immediately connected The Rattening with the trip into the underworld. Agreed. So that would be the only kind of possibility for a different title is one that highlights the fact that they're traveling to the underworld in this episode, which is mm-hmm. a very unique thing. But at the same time, it is a perfectly magician style <laughs> of, look, it's ridiculous magic in our quirky, humorous way. Yeah. And it's just fun to say. It is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that will wrap up this week's episode. So what's happening next time on The Magicians? So we only have two episodes left of this season. (gasps) So we are going to be on episode 12, which is Ramifications. All right, well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website, Instagram, and Patreon in the episode description. And if you are a patron, we hope that you had a good time at our last meetup. Yeah, it was a great time with great conversations. We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com, Instagram, or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek geek out. out!